Alrighty, everybody, welcome back to the Rare Petro Podcast. As always, it is myself, Tavis Killian, and today we've got you another episode of Monday Madness. So, of course, the news a little bit slower with the end of the year coming up. I mean, <laughs> I tell you, I'm excited with the end of 2020. So the stories today, you might find them a little bit boring, but hey, I find them interesting. All energy is good to report on, and I love talking about it. So instead of talking about the end of the year, I know you came here for the news. I'm not going to hold you back. But again, Red Petro would like to say thank you. I mean, we hit just about 4,000 plays this year. I mean, I... I gotta say, I didn't expect to do that when we started up this project, so thanks to you for continuing to support us. But, enough of that. First of all, though, statistics. WTI, at the time of recording, $48.20. Now, this is a pretty good way to end the year. Transitioning into 2021 might serve as a hiccup to prices as we end quarter four and move into a new financial year entirely. Many people are going to be restructuring a lot of things, arranging hedges for the year, I mean, assuming there are any takers and it's certainly going to be a start of a difficult new chapter for oil and gas. But while 2020 was bad between the start of COVID and the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia, I would really be surprised if things got worse. Even though many companies merged and some went under, it really shows there are still plenty of people who recognize the importance of oil and gas and are here to stay. Let's just hope that the price continues to climb so people can manage their debt and produce profitably. After all, the rest of the world hasn't stopped developing, and they will demand more oil to live with the same comforts that we have in North America and much of Europe. And you know what's next? It's the rig count, which is still moving upwards, just not at the magnitude that we have observed in the past few weeks. So, suffice to say, I won't be looking a gift horse in the mouth, especially this soon after Christmas. So, a positive movement is a positive movement, even if we are down 457 on the year, which is significantly less than we were at the start of the year when we were looking at those high 500s, low 600s. So no great changes basin by basin. But if we do move just a little bit north, Canada has shown a 20 rig decrease, leaving them down 17 for the year. So they were positive on the year up until that last week report. And I'm not as clued into the Canadian side of things, and I especially haven't been watching their rig count but it does seem like they've struggled just as much as the U.S. with plenty of mergers and bankruptcies among plenty of their companies. So good luck to Canada, as that is a big percentage change, but the U.S. isn't exactly in a stable position either. So I definitely encourage you to look at that rig count weekly, or you can just subscribe to this here podcast, and I can do the hard work for you. You can go to rarepetro.com to find the rest of our content, and really, if you're not doing too much right now and business is slow, you might as well grow because this energy transition will continue to grow as well. Next up, the inventories. We still have some disagreements between the API and the EIA. Both forecasted drawdowns of just over 3 million barrels, and I was also hopeful because I imagine there would be plenty of transportation in the weeks leading up to Christmas, and even after, if you weren't pleased with those gifts and needed to do some returns. But the API's report released on the 22nd, and it showed a 2.7 million barrel build. So right idea, wrong direction. The EIA released their report a day later, and it showed that there was a half million barrel drawdown, which is not terrible considering we're only a couple weeks past that massive 15 million barrel build. So let's continue to keep that downward pressure on it and see if we can't get back to where we were way back when, what it seems like. So overall, our statistics are not incredibly attractive, but I would argue that they are incredibly stable. Solid price increase for over a month, ditto for the rig count, and inventories have really been pushed down since the start of the year, minus that huge build that we just talked about. So perhaps not exactly the comeback we were all expecting, but the industry shows strength nonetheless. 
But that's enough for the statistics, and of course we move on to those stories, and I'd like to start out with the potential energy secretary of 2021 and onward. So you may have caught the Monday Madness episode last week, but the day after, Biden announced he would be nominating Jennifer Granholm for energy secretary. Now this was a rather quiet nomination, I'll say, and the API responded that they are ready to, quote, tackle the challenge of climate change by building on America's progress and delivering affordable and reliable energy while reducing greenhouse gas emissions to generational lows, end quote. Definitely coming for the perspective of using plenty more natural gas and hopefully taking advantage of CCUS technology available. So very polite and political stuff. Still, I wanted to learn more about what we can expect and just how ready Granholm might be to work with the API amongst other oil and gas organizations throughout the country. So I've done a little research on Granholm for you. And this is what I've found. So first, she was a Michigan Attorney General from 99 to 2003, and then became the 47th governor from 2003 to 2011. Although her career was relatively quiet, I could not find much regarding her stances on energy. As a governor of a state who had been losing jobs like it was, well, their job, Granholm supported establishing alternative energy jobs to replace those lost automotive ones. In 2008, she established meager and vague goals to bring alternative energy companies into the state, and since then, roughly 40 of those companies came to the state to grow and provide 10,000 jobs. Not incredible, but certainly helps when more and more people are being laid off in an ever-evolving automotive industry. She also announced tax breaks for those hoping to film in Michigan, so it really seems like her primary goal wasn't exactly energy, but just stimulate any sort of activity within the state. The rest of her governing career fails to mention really anything else about alternative or renewable energy, and after exhausting her term limit in 2011, she centered her efforts around teaching law and performing energy research at Berkeley and became a senior research fellow at the Berkeley Energy and Climate Institute. As a senior advisor to the Pew Charitable Trust's Clean Energy Program and founder of the American Jobs Prospect at UC Berkeley, Granholm spearheads a campaign for national clean energy policy that promotes and funds American energy independence in homegrown manufacturing and innovation for wind, solar, and advanced battery industries across the United States. So some good stuff, great for the energy transition. And fortunately, it seems like she is well-educated within the energy sector in terms of alternative energy, which is great for the U.S. But it doesn't seem like she has any involvement or research within the oil and gas community. While not terrible, it certainly is concerning when you put her alongside both President-elect Biden and running mate Harris. This is something we've talked about on the podcast before. The industry is vilified, yes, but there are plenty of people who understand its importance. When we establish leadership with a clear favor of alternative and renewable energy, we risk being persecuted as an industry. Renewable energy isn't going to replace the industry, and certainly not at the pace many are pushing it, but I'm predicting that the largest hurdle to oil and gas in 2021 will be working under our very own government. Who knows, maybe I'm expressing an extreme bias and things won't be as bad as I forecast and we will all work together to sort things out. I mean, fingers crossed for that. Next up, we move to our neighbors down south in Mexico, where fuel imports by private companies will now be limited. This may seem mostly inconsequential and logical as countries strive for energy independence and attempt to decrease domestic reserves that were filled throughout the middle of this year. What makes the situation different is that the state-owned company, Pemex, will not encounter these restrictions. Pemex already holds a dominant position in Mexico as President Obrador campaigned on promises of energy independence and increasing support for Pemex. While Pemex is a significant player internationally, it completely overshadows private industry in the state and has been growing for quite some time. Although the company is absolutely laden with debt, they are moving forward with the construction of an $8 billion refinery. 
While all of these moves do increase the capacity to produce and refine under the rule of Pemex, it doesn't leave a lot of room for the little guys, especially when you revoke the ability to import as much as you'd like for any given reason. On top of this, the Mexican energy industry introduced a policy reducing the import permit for private companies from 20 years to 5 years. Mexican antitrust regulatory COFECE criticized the plans a week before they went into effect, stating that the implementation would absolutely demolish competition on the retail fuel market and in turn limit consumer choices to more options, which would ultimately jack up the prices. Even so, they moved forward and implemented it. Probably halfway through, Atlas shrugged at this point, and although I know it is a work of fiction, the people's state of Mexico is hitting just a little too close to home. Last, news was a little bit slow for this week, but I'm going to wrap things up with new discoveries. If you've been reading any of Kevin's periodicals, you know that continuing to discover new fields is very important for the industry moving forward. There's a lot more oil to find, especially offshore, and the reserves we have won't last forever. Well, Saudi Arabia is clearly on board with that idea, as they've discovered four more fields. Two of the fields are unconventional deposits, one of which has a well producing over 1 billion cubic feet of gas daily. Whew! Regardless of these huge initial volumes, which are to be expected from unconventional reservoirs, the total volumes of the four fields remain unconfirmed. Although this is good for Saudi Arabia moving into the future, the current environment doesn't necessarily support the development of these new discoveries, and building their reserves, especially with huge reserves already on hand. The capital of Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, already had its work cut out for it as it had to triple some of its income tax rates and cut allowances for many of the people. Their government plans to spend over $260 billion in 2021 as it battles the economic turmoil it experienced in earlier parts of this year. But unfortunately, that is the end of the podcast. I know we have such a short time to be with each other every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you get all of that good content. And hey, we release other stuff too. Kevin's Periodical should be coming out later this week, and it's one you certainly won't want to miss. So again, go to rarepetro.com. You can find all of the content and ways to follow it there. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Thank you.